Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey everyone, David from The Thistle here. Thanks for coming back. And just before we get into our chat with Chris Custer, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsors for today. That's Messers Whiskey & Co. Messers Whiskey & Co. provide consultancy, experiences, and media services to the Scotch whiskey industry and its consumers. If you ever needed professional support to grow or enhance your whiskey offering, or want to put on a bespoke tasting for family, friends, or clients, contact John from Messers on Instagram, that's at Messers Whiskey, or go to www.messerswhiskey.com. And if you tell him that you have found out via the Thistle Scottish Rugby Pod, you will get a 10% discount on all your services. So for all of your whiskey needs, get on to messerswhiskey.com. Cheers. So absolutely thrilled to be uh, joined uh, today for a Thistle lockdown session um, by uh, Scotland and Lions from half Chris Custer. Chris, how are you, man? Good. Thank you, David. Yeah, very, very well. Thanks for having me. Not at all. I think you are um, you are our most sort of international guest we've ever had. Um, you're joining us from west coast of uh, west coast of America. How is uh, how's um, life out there at the moment? It's yeah, I, I guess like everywhere, it's it's different. The last three four months have been very very strange, but I think there's probably worse places to be, and you know, in this kind of situation, like the weather is is really good. So the beaches, by and large, have have been open for the last couple of months, and uh, you know, the ability to get outdoors and is there all the time. So I think we could be in a worse situation. Um, we're trying to make the best of it. We have. My wife and I have two young kids, so you know that brings its own challenges. But yeah, it's California is definitely a good place to be at the moment, and um, we're trying to trying to enjoy it and, and not get too bogged down in, in everything that's happening. 
Absolutely. How how long have you been? Um, I guess away from Scotland. How long have you been in um, in California now? We moved to, to California in June of 2016. Uh, we left Scotland in 2014 when I, I signed for Sail Sharks. When I left Glasgow Warriors and was there for two years, and pretty much as soon as we kind of finished up in in Manchester, we had a, a week or so or a couple of weeks, I think, and then we. We moved out here, so yeah, just just gone four years, um, which is kind of strange. It's, it's the longest I think we've lived anywhere other than Glasgow outside of Aberdeen, um, <laughs> and, and it's kind of going quickly, and it's it's not going quickly, and um, it, it seems normal now, but it's it's been a kind of fairly um, busy four years, I guess, uh, with finishing rugby and starting this business and moving over here and. We had a, our, our second kid and, you know, a lot of kind of stuff has happened in that four years. So, yeah, it's, it's been really busy. So, so before we, we get into that, that rugby, what is it? What is the business? What are you, what are you up, to, um, up to out there? So I, I bought uh, an alcohol retail business. Um, I, I had a – when I was in the last 18 months, two years maybe of playing rugby, I was, I was looking to the future and trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I, I had a few ideas, but I kind of got into Scotch whiskey a little bit and well, got really interested in it. And I decided or we decided also that we wanted to try and live in California for, for a while at least. We really liked it out here. And we thought that after rugby was the time to do it because if we moved back to Scotland and, and bought a house and settled down that we, we might never do it. So we kind of did everything at once. Um, I, I have a friend out here who actually used to play for Godonians um, in, in Aberdeen back in the day, which is how I knew him. And he'd been out here for quite a few years and is in the, the Scotch whiskey business. So I started talking to him a little bit more and he he knew this business. It was an old family business that uh, kind of father and son had run and they were looking to sell. So he suggested, you know, that, it might be something worth looking at and I needed to, to get a visa to come over here. I had to, to purchase a business. So kind of over the next like, year, year and a half, I started kind of putting that together. And I, I really, there's a business in the UK called the Whiskey Exchange that I got interested in and thought it was an incredible business and a great business model. And really my plan was to try and replicate that over in California. So um, it's definitely still a work in progress, but yeah, it's it's been a it's been a good venture for sure. Awesome. So there there is life after rugby. You found there's yeah there's there's life after rugby, and it's it's in some ways way harder, in some ways easier. And I think four years in, I I understand it better. I understand the real world better. Um, but that transition is is pretty tough. Have you you know having never? I wouldn't say I've never really worked, but I've never worked in. I've, I've never owned my own business before, and I never worked for anybody before, other than you know playing professional rugby. And I think that I played for thirteen years, which was, you know, as they would say out here, it's a blessing. But it definitely, you know, puts you on the back foot when you when you come out of that age thirty four. Because that's all I, it's all I'd ever known. And I went straight from university to to the borders and playing rugby. So I, I, all my my friends and contemporaries from school and university were thirteen years into a, into a career and were becoming quite senior. And you know, 
some of them doing quite well for themselves and having played rugby you you forgo all that and obviously I wouldn't have it any other way but you come out of that age 34 and I had I had uh, I was married with one kid at the time and you take a huge drop in income and you start to realize you actually don't know very much about anything other than playing rugby which is no good when you're not playing rugby anymore so it's yeah it's been it's been a steep learning curve for sure I think we kind of did it not say the hard way but we we took on a lot and I think in some ways that was good. It was kind of straight into the deep end and there was a lot of pressure, but um, it was a, it was a steeper learning curve and maybe maybe helped with the transition uh, once we got through that initial kind of first year or 18 months. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's where you are now. I mean, take us right back. Obviously, you're, Aber, Aber, Aberdeen is where you were born and, and raised, is, and I take it that's where you sort of first picked up a rugby ball and what what, what first got you interested in the sport? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, from Aberdeen. Um, my so my dad had played rugby for for Gordonians, um, and obviously loved it, and kind of pushed my brother and I in that direction. So it was really we went to to a school that they played rugby, one of the probably the only rugby playing schools in Aberdeen, and you know picked it up and kind of straight away just really really enjoyed it, and um, you know was quite good at it, and it, you know. Aberdeen is not—it's not really a hotbed of, of rugby in Scotland. It's—it's it's a bit off the beaten track, and the—the the, the competition isn't much in Aberdeen. So we're all—you know—every weekend you travel down to Edinburgh, Glasgow, to play against those the, the strong rugby playing schools down there. But yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Played a bunch of other sports, but rugby was was always the main one. And um, yeah, obviously with with dad playing, and you know he, he encouraged us and, and pushed us in that direction. So. And I, my big brother played as well, and he was he was always quite he was one of those annoyingly kind of well developed guys at school who you know had hairy legs before everyone else did and was stronger than everyone else. <laughs> so I was always you know, trying to compete with him and, and keep up with him. I was the opposite; I was really small. And um, but you know, having having my brother as a kind of role model and, and somebody to try, aspire to was was really helpful. And, you know, we played together for one year when he was in his last year of school and I was in fourth year. So that was really fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just it seemed natural. I always loved it. And to be honest, I, I think I didn't really know how far I could go, but I just loved playing it. It gave me a focus. And when I, when I went to university in Edinburgh, obviously that was quite a well-trodden path. There wasn't really academies back then as such, like not in the way there is now. So Played for, for played for a club team. I joined Watsonians in in two thousand. Played there for a couple of years. Did a year at Borough Muir, and I think by that point I was I was spending more time training and uh, playing or you know thinking about rugby certainly than I was studying, and it was kind of affecting you know my my marks and my grades. And but by then I kind of knew what I wanted to do, and I thought it was a possibility. So. It just kind of got more and more serious, I guess, as I went to university. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't know at that point what was going to happen, but it was that was much more appealing than yeah. than becoming a lawyer or whatever path I might have otherwise been on. Absolutely. Um, so you um, you mentioned earlier you joined the uh, the much fated uh, Board of Reavers when they were sort of from their inception in, in two thousand and three, um, and stuck with them sort of right to the bitter end 2007 I mean what what was that journey like I mean 
obviously a brand new club starting up and then obviously falling into nothingness after sort of four years. I mean, what, what was that journey like in that sort of third Scottish pro team? Well, I, I didn't have anything to compare it to. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd played at Bermuda the year before yeah. and had a, one of the most enjoyable years, I think, of rugby I'd had. Um, Sean Lanine was, was coaching and we just had a really good team. Ali Warnock was there and Malcolm Clapperton and Ali Strokosh. Yeah. Um, you know, a bunch of really good guys, like a really good, a really good club. So I just had a lot of fun and I kind of was in touch with Rob Moffat was the Scotland under 19 coach around about then. And you know, I love Rob and we got on really well and he was just brilliant as a kind of mentor and a, you know, like I, we used to do sessions together just on like a Wednesday afternoon or something. We'd go and, and pass balls and, you know, I kept in touch with him and he was at Glasgow, but he ended up going to the borders and, kind of talk to me about maybe coming down there and it's not like when you're I was 20 when you're 20 you have a lot of options really you know so you know I I but I it was I just needed one I just wanted one opportunity to to, to have a professional contract for a year and, and try and do it yeah and Tony Gilbert was the head coach who had been an all-black coach so that was that was pretty cool you know like having that experience um, of, of being coached by him and plus some of the older guys that were there. So Gary Armstrong, Doddy Weir uh, had had signed from, from Newcastle, yeah. George Graham, some other guys who I'd, you know, I'd, I'd watched growing up. Ian Fairley was there, uh, Kevin Utterson, Stevie Scott, like a bunch, you know, a bunch of good solid players. And Yeah, there was some, some big names. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, and, you know, when you look back at some, some of the players that were there and who went on to, to other clubs, like there was, some, there was a lot of talent. But, it, you know, it, without having anything to compare it to, I didn't really know what professional rugby should be like. It, you know, you trained every day and, you know, but it, there's obviously different levels of that. And it was still fairly early on in, in professional rugby in Scotland. It was only like seven, what, seven years old or something. So a lot of things were still getting figured out. And, the borders didn't have a big budget and I don't think any of the teams actually had a, had a big budget and the Welsh teams, you know, seemed a little bit more developed, um, potentially more professional. I didn't really know the Irish teams were good. So it was a slog, you know, like it was, we didn't win many games. And I, I remember having, I think I had like a, a win bonus or something in my contract. And it was like, I don't know, like 300 quid for every win. I was like, Oh, this is great. You know, I'm going (laughs) to, This will pay for a few things, and we, I think we won maybe three games or something. That's decent. My first year, yeah, it was. As a twenty-year-old or twenty-one-year-old, it was it was huge. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was tough going. Obviously, I stayed there, <laughs> stayed there for four years. First two were just kind of trying to learn and trying to get up to that uh, speed and increased intensity. Um, but pretty early on, Matt Matt Williams was coach of Scotland. He got announced coach of Scotland, I guess, after the World Cup. So he was in touch and, you know, was talking about Six Nations. And, you know, I didn't really, you know, that was obviously the, the, the master plan, but it was kind of came really early. It came in my, my first year, I guess. Yeah, it came in my first year. Yeah. Mike, Mike Blair, Iron, he'd already had a year with Edinburgh and he had gone to the World Cup, but I guess hadn't played a lot, but he was more experienced, so... Yeah, and then I in February I'd only been pro for a few months and end up starting the Six Nations, and so that you know that first year was a bit of a whirlwind, and yeah, it was it was really fun. Yeah, like I think anything that's new 
like that is is fun and it's all these experiences you're having and being able to train full time and getting paid for it just seemed like it was magical. So, no, I, I had a lot of fun uh, in the first couple of years, definitely. And then, when did you sort of see the writing on the wall? I guess at the borders, did it was it sort of well trailed that it was coming to an end? Or I mean, as a player, what was it like in those sort of I guess the death throes of the the border reavers? Yeah, it was it was it was strange. You could tell that something was happening. I mean, I think when the the forwards coach and the defence coach get taken out of the coaching team halfway through the season to go and coach with Scotland, then it's not a great sign. There's obviously no big plans there to, to build and grow. And, and the rumours started. I can't remember exactly what time of the year, but obviously there's rumours about it. And... Um, yeah, the, the writing was on the wall. And I, I think the second part of the season was, you know, it, it was it wasn't ideal, and and it wasn't obviously the players like for me, like I you know I knew that I could get another club at that point, and you know I, I think the SRU wanted me to go to to Glasgow, and you know I considered it, but I really kind of wanted a change, and I ended up going to France. But you know, for some of the other players, like it's hard. Like plenty, you know, plenty of players picked up contracts or they were offered Edinburgh, Glasgow. Some guys maybe never played again, and and also all the all the staff, you know, all the support staff and the admin staff, the physios, you know, that, that had been their life for for what was it five years? I think the boards was around, like you yeah. know, and it was a real, it was a good community. Everyone got on really well, and it's kind of sad that that just got just disbanded like that. All those people lost jobs. And and maybe never worked in professional rugby again. So there was there was definitely a bit of sadness there. Um, I don't know if it could have been handled better. Maybe, but it's a tough decision. Like you're always there's going to be consequences of, of that kind of thing. And I think maybe it was ultimately the correct one. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Because there wasn't enough money to support three teams properly. So having two well-funded teams was, I think, probably a better model, but it didn't make it any easier. And it, yeah, I do feel for the people that maybe never worked in professional rugby again. It's quite a brutal kind of way to, to end it. But as you said, you enjoyed some success during those those years, uh, including um, a call-up to the Lions Tour in, in 2005. What, what, are your, what are your memories from, from that? Obviously not a... Hugely successful time on the pitch for the Lions, but what was it like to to go touring with uh, with that team? Yeah, honestly, one of one of the best times of my life. Just to 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 be selected in the first place, I think was beyond anything I ever would have dreamed about. 
Yeah, I was there in, in 2001. I was with Watsonians. We went and to Australia to follow the tour, you know, just in university and just, you know, having a great time. So to, to be on the next one four years later was honestly just a, just a dream come true. And yeah, I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. Um, we, I played in the midweek team and we, I think we're pretty much undefeated. So there was, there was lower pressure. The, the games were obviously easier, but yeah, some of the people I met and the players I played with, like I absolutely loved it. And I, I guess at that point, you know, I, I would hope, would have hoped to have gone on, you know, one or two more tours after that. It didn't happen for various reasons. So no, I, I look back on that really fondly and, uh, you know, I, I obviously wish I'd maybe snuck onto the bench for one of the tests. Like I thought maybe I had a chance of that, but uh, Sir Clive went with, with Matt Dawson on the bench, who we obviously knew really well. But, you know, I hey, you know, it was the whole thing was, was just incredible. Um, and I, yeah, I, I would never, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have changed a thing. It was, it was brilliant. So you were saying part of the, uh, the midweek side, was it a proper sort of midweek touring side, um, big characters on that tour and sort of on the, on the drink quite a bit? Um, it was a, it was a proper, it was a proper tour. Like, you know, it's 2005. So it's, it's not that long ago. I mean, God, it's 15 years ago, but it was professional, but it was fun. And the, the games were, <laughs> were intense, but you know, it wasn't the test match kind of intensity and it wasn't the same kind of pressure. And guys like, there was guys like Donico Callahan who was on that tour, who's a great character, really funny. And, you know, I remember all like the songs that they were coming up with and, you know, just it was it was a really good laugh, and you know I, I got on really well with everyone. We had some some fun nights out, kind of under the radar. We I remember after the so they announced the team for the third test. I guess we were up in Auckland. The, te- the series is gone, and they announced the team or the other squad. And if you weren't in it, then they basically flew us all down to Queenstown for for the night and. You know, we just got to go out in Queenstown and spend the, the day and the night up there. And then we flew back to Auckland on the morning of the test. And, I, you know, I didn't think about it then. Obviously, if somebody had gotten sick overnight, you could have been potentially been involved. But we'd been out in Queenstown until like 3, 4 in the morning. And I actually think it happened to, it might have been Gordy Bullock. I think, I think Gordy Bullock had been out and then somebody got sick. And I think he was on standby or something. I can't remember if he made the squad or if he was on standby, but I remember thinking if if something happened to Matt Dawson or Dwayne Peel and I was next in line, I would have been in the worst condition of, you know, of that tour to then sit on the bench against the All Blacks. And obviously you'd kind of want it to happen, but also not exactly ideal preparation. <laughs> uh, kind of like Andy Nichol in 2001 when he wasn't even on the tour but then got caught on the bench, having been leading the tourists. Um, anyway, it, it didn't happen, you know. I, I, thankfully, I guess. Although, you know, I yeah, think, I mean, it's, you know, you take a you take a lion's cap in any circumstances. But I mean, it's become a bit of a bone of contention, I think, for Scottish rugby. Certainly, Scottish rugby fans, particularly in the last few tours, has been fairly um, limited involvement from Scottish players. Um, I mean, do you think? it's something that Scots really need to sort of turn their attention to and they should still be striving for as players. I mean, there's certainly a little bit of the fan community that feels quite snubbed by the whole, um, the whole exercise, but I presume you're a huge sort of um, uh, proponent of the whole Lions club and, and, and particularly Scottish involvement in it. Yeah, I think so. And as a, as a player, 
like it is the pinnacle i think if you're if you're a british player i mean representing scotland is is amazing but that's you know it's once every four years and it's a selection from you know from a from several countries so it is still the pinnacle i feel that frustration over the last couple of tours and i think it's you know if you have a coach like gatland who's one of the best coaches in history but who's coached wales and knows those players and obviously doesn't particularly rate the scottish players he's not going to any 50-50 call is not going to go to a scottish player and i think that's where it, it started to seem unfair but that's from a scottish perspective and if you're Warren Gatland and you've coached against Scotland and you've always beaten them and you know your players, it's probably a, nat- it's a natural bias. But I did get a wee bit disillusioned with the, was it 27, no, wait a minute, 2013 tour. I felt that we were a wee bit hard done by, but, you know, the calls are close. You know, yeah. there's, there's very, very good Scottish players that, that could have gone and didn't. And, you, you know, you felt, a wee bit hard done by, but there was no great injustice if you try to look at it from from a neutral. The players that went were excellent players. You know, there was no ringers there. Obviously, what happened in New Zealand was I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that they picked people on proximity. Mm. That's just, to me, that's not right. Like, that, a player, a British player, no matter where they are in the world or what they're doing, would drop everything and get on a plane and, and be in New Zealand, you know, as soon as they could to be part of that tour. So to call people up just because you know them and they're close by, that's not right. And I, I don't think that I don't think the end justified the means there. It, it kind of devalues it, and that shouldn't have happened. But you know, it was a successful tour, but to me, it left a bit of a bitter taste. And I, I would hope that they could not do that again. I just think it's not fair. It's not fair on the players who who would otherwise deserve to go and, and have maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to become a British and Irish Lion. So, yeah, that, that bit I didn't I didn't like. But, um, you know, I'm optimistic. I, I think if, if Stuart Hogg had yeah. been fit, then he would have started in, in the tests. And, you know, he's, he's one of Scotland's best ever players. He was just unlucky to pick up that injury. And next time round, you know, if Finn Russell is on form and Stuart Hogg and... You know, a bunch of other young guys that we have who are, who are really good players, we've got a good shot. But, you know, it's, the competition's huge. And we're a small country who hasn't traditionally done well in the Six Nations. So I try not to be too close-minded about it. But, yeah, obviously a greater Scottish representation would would be fantastic. And I, and I hope it happens next time around. Absolutely, absolutely completely agree. So your, your Scotland career, you said, started, you made your debut, was it 2004, did you say? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that was on. So that was under Matt Williams. Um, what What are your memories from that that sort of first cap and your first sort of your early Scotland involvement? I think being fairly terrified was one emotion. It was at the <laughs> Millennium Stadium, which is one of the most incredible stadiums in the world, and my family were all down, and I, you know, just a really emotional day you know, for, for my mum and dad and my brother was there. And yeah, it was, it was, you know, in its own way, kind of magical. The game wasn't, didn't go particularly well for Scotland. And um, I, honestly, I think I'd only been playing for the borders for like six months and 
it was probably a wee bit too early for me if I'm if I'm honest. But you know, you, well, you're not going to turn it down. So I was trying to kind of learn on the hoof. You know, learn about professional rugby, learn about international rugby as you know as a 21 year old. So yeah, it was it was a bit of a baptism of fire. But yeah, good memories. I mean, those are some of the things I'll remember for the rest of my life. And it was quite tough with like Matt Williams. He really backed me for those first couple of years. Like I think I started like, I don't know, the first 14, 15 games or something. So I got great experience under him and, you know, had a lot of enjoyable games, but it was tough. We didn't win many games. So uh, yeah, kind of mixed, mixed experiences there. But, you know, I, Honestly, growing up in Aberdeen, if you told me that I would, I think I got a Scotland A cap in 2003, that to me seemed like, you know, it could be the pinnacle and I'd be happy with that. So these experiences were all somewhat unexpected and incredible at the same time. So yeah, I've, I've got good memories for sure. Obviously went on to, to win um, 70 Scotland caps, uh, a huge total. What is there any particular games or sort of a, a coaches or, or moments that stick out to you in your career is like that was when you really felt that that you and that Scotland were going really, really well? Um, I don't know. The, the, the 2000s were pretty tough. Like we, we never had any sustained period of success, you know, and, and I'm sure <laughs> the fans at that time would obviously relate to that. Like we had some reasonable one-off victories and performances um there was you know so 2006 frank Haddon came in and you know preferred mike blair so you know did a you know had 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 some starts and had some injury issues starting to come in and i think i guess 2006 there's three wins in the six nations but you know personally i wasn't you know hugely involved um but they were still enjoyable, you know, still fun to beat England at Murrayfield. You know, that was pretty cool to be in France at Murrayfield. So, you know, those are those are enjoyable. And I remember, you know, being Italy away with, with Chris Patterson kicking a kind of fairly last minute penalty. You know, those are good memories. I enjoyed the, the summer tours yeah. were always really fun, like going to Australia in 2004. And we played Samoa uh, in Wellington, which was which we won and, you know, really enjoyable playing against George Gregan, you know, down there, like who I'd kind of watched a lot and had, you know, analyzed a lot. So to play against him was, was really, yeah, it was very cool. Um, then I don't know, like, so I, you know, Andy Robertson came in and I, I really got on really well with Andy initially. And, you know, he was, his attention to deal to detail was, was fantastic. And I really enjoyed working with him. He's very, very personable and really, really cared a lot. And initially it was, yeah, it was really enjoyable. Um, he, he he made Mike and I captain, so you know was able to captain Scotland again, which was was an honour and, and a privilege and great. But uh, I remember 2010, maybe um, we were the England game at Murrayfield, so I was captain, and I think we drew the I think we drew the game if I remember. But it was like one of those like so near yet so far, and I remember at one point kind of throwing a dummy and, and making a break and. I'm not sure if I would have scored, but I might have done. But I ended up getting caught by Dan Cole, the tight end drop, like by his fingernails. And it was like, <laughs> so frustrating, you know. Um, so never got a chance to, to lift the Calcutta Cup. But uh, yeah, there was, I, I'd say it was more little bits and pieces, obviously, rather than any sustained success. Yeah, you, you mentioned that there, that decision to um, make you and Mike sort of 
joint captains. Obviously, like joint captains, ha- I imagine has their their pros and cons anyway. But joint captains of two people in the same position was that not quite, I suppose, quite strange for you and Mike, um, knowing that you were sort of not only competing for the number nine jersey, but whichever one got it would be captain. Kind of, but it was. I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. I, I by then. I feel like Mike and I got on pretty well. Like we're good friends now. In the early days, it was a bit tougher, but I think by then we'd kind of, you know, we're, we got on pretty well, and it it worked. Um, it definitely worked in the early days because I got to start, so <laughs> that was more more enjoyable than it. I think it flipped maybe the next year, or you know, and then it just got it got a little bit harder. But yeah, the competition was there anyway, so it didn't really. Yeah, whoever started was captain, so that. To be honest, it suited me. I was happy with that. Um, yeah, and I, I enjoy working with Mike. I always kind of enjoy competing with him. And yeah, as, as we got older and a bit more mature, it was it was fun to to do that together. So yeah, um, I, I guess you know, like any yeah. like like most of the players, we we would have wanted more success. You know, it was it was more one off victories rather than any sustained runs or you know trying to play for championships. So you know, there's there's that. But yeah, you know. Still, still enjoyable experiences, and uh, you know they're, they're they're amazing things to do. You know, to play in those stadiums, to represent your country. You, you're never going to regret it. But when you get to that point, you do want success. You want to win, and you want you know everyone to be involved, and, and the country to be involved in those in those good times. And obviously, we we, we never obviously quite you had and, that you then. and Mike so too. There's absolute stalwarts in the nine jersey in Scotland. There's a long a long sort of lineage of of strong scrum halves in Scottish rugby. What what do you make of the the, the current crop, um, Ali Price, George Horn, and and the rest? Um, I guess so. Ali Price, I know a little bit. He was at Glasgow when I was there, and he's he's got you know, well he's he's got potential, but he's already a very very good player, very accomplished, good kicker, good passer, good athlete, um, and I like watching him. I really like watching George Horn, who I don't know. But I, I know his his big brother Pete having played together. But I think he's a he's a great player. And he's really exciting. I, I get quite excited to watch him play because I feel like he's got that ability to to create something or to to get on the end of a scoring pass as he does regularly for Glasgow. So yeah, I'm, you know I'm excited about those guys. Um, so yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see how they develop and, and which one maybe takes hold of it now that now that Greg has has stepped down. Um, but yeah, no, there's there, yeah, there's good players at scrum half for sure, and it, it just depends who kind of steps up and who's able to take take it take it on. I'm kind of jumping all over the place a little bit here, but I wanted to touch on your your time at Perpignan. I mean, I think you still hear stories today about the sort of um, professionalism of French rugby. I mean, that's in sort of 2019-20. What was it like going to Perpignan, playing in the top 14 in in 2007? Was it a big sort of obviously a massive culture shock from the borders, but was there a, a sort of professionalism gap as well? Um, if I'm honest, not not with the borders. Um, they definitely have a different attitude. To, they have a different attitude to strength and conditioning for sure. They're, they're much more, it's old fashioned. It's not very scientific and it's not very intense. So I kind of realized that and, I think it, at times some of the Scottish rugby stuff was kind of overly was overly intense, and there was so much focus on it. 
um, over it seemed maybe skill or, or or just rugby. So yeah, it was it was the other way around. Like they they wanted to play rugby and and kind of focused on individual skill and the structure was not massive, but the coach at the time was who was Jacques Brunel who had been with the French team, he kind of put in a fairly basic structure and, and he was a bit of a kind of school headmaster type figure. But I felt like the, it kind of worked for the French players. Like they they could be quite kind of lackadaisical. So they needed somebody like that to, to get the best out of them. And yeah, we, well, he got the team playing really well. You know, it's probably on, we won the, the top 14 in, in 2009. But yeah, it was it was very different. Like the preseason I did in two thousand eight, I think was probably the easiest preseason I ever did. But I actually felt the best I ever had. Also, I wasn't I wasn't exhausted. I wasn't knackered all the time, and um, started the season really well. Um, yeah, and some of the it's a great league. I mean, the the, the stadiums you play at and the, some of the players you play with are were immense. So yeah, that was fun. I mean, Guillaume Garado was there. He was a young hooker who. You know, he's gone on to become a French captain, or uh, Nico Mas, the uh, the prop who played for France. You know, got a number of caps for France. David Marty, the centre, Percy Montgomery signed Henry Tuolangi. Like, there's some amazing players. So, yeah, it was fun. It was it was a really fun fun yeah. experience. And and playing at home in that that stadium, the the Emi Giral was incredible. Like the, the crowd are so. So partisan and so passionate that it was, yeah. If you if you played at home, you almost always won, and uh, that was yeah. That sounds was a, sounds absolutely amazing. Um, I'll just try and bring this all to a bit of a close. You mentioned some absolutely awesome big names that you've played with there. One question that we usually ask to all of our guests is, "Who's the best player that you've ever played with?" Uh, well, I played. I mean, the obvious one is Dan Carter. He he signed for Perpignan in two thousand eight. And played one year, but got injured after five games. But we played a couple of games together, so he's one of the greatest players of all time. We played two games together, but I think it still counts. <laughs> um, Henry Henry Tuolangi is just an absolute force of nature, and I've never seen anyone who could do the things he could do, like physically. It was just just pure power. Um, so. You know, somewhere between those two, obviously on the Lions too, like Johnny Wilkinson, Charlie Hodgson are just amazing players. But I guess, you know, Henry Tulani just for sheer physicality was was up there. Dan Carter is Dan Carter. Um, so, yeah, there's, I, don't know, I guess, between <laughs> those two. Two pretty big names, to be fair. Um, and the last question that we usually ask everyone is, um, through all your time in rugby, who's the uh, the worst roommate you've ever had? I don't remember. I've never had any terrible roommates, but the one, and I'm going to throw him under the bus a bit, but Jeff Cross used to sleep naked, which caught me off guard the first time it happened. <laughs> and he wasn't shy about it or he wouldn't try and be discreet. So I saw a lot more of Jeff Cross than I would otherwise have wished to see. So sorry, <laughs> Jeff, but it, it would probably right, have so to he, I think he's actually been mentioned before. I think. Him and Tim Visser crop up quite a lot for their um, their love of being naked in the uh, in the ch- in the in the hotel rooms. So uh, yeah. you're not yeah. the first. Well, Tim, I mean Tim Visser's but so he's got, he's got an excuse. But uh, but Jeff from Gala, so I don't know. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. Um, Chris, th- thanks very much for for giving us some of your time um, to just sort of have a bit of a reminisce. 
and talk about your career. We really, really appreciate it and um, wish you all the best and hopefully we'll chat again soon. All right, great. Thanks a lot, David. Good, good to chat. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 